This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Welcome to our seminar this morning. We're going to do some rapid fire programming this morning. Uh, we're dividing up presentations among uh, four of us, actually seven, I think. <laughs> Revelation 12:11 tells us we overcome the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the Lamb and by what else? The word of our testimony. And Danielle, Mike, Wayne, and I have shared our testimonies numbers of times with the GYC family in the past. And we have three other people that are going to um, share what the Lord has done for them in this arena. And then I will bring up the close if there's any time left over. I'll, I'll bring up the close with uh, some myths that need to be dispelled and briefly some facts that uh, if you're going to be equipped to deal with this issue, the sin issue period, it's important that you, you are equipped to know what is false, what is true. Satan is the master of deceit and he is putting forth lies to the church to make us timid about presenting uh, the gospel. And we need to know, we need to expose his lies with the light of truth. Let us have a word of prayer as we begin this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for another opportunity to stand before you and testify for you. As we realize that we are in the great controversy between good and evil, between Christ and Satan, that we are all players on the stage of your theater of grace. We all have such amazing opportunities to demonstrate before men and angels and the universe your power, your recreative power to transform lives in your amazing, incomprehensible love. And we pray that you'll help us to all be faithful uh, as we live out our roles in this great theater of grace. We pray that you will be uplifted today, that we all will be blessed as we hear how you do work and how you have worked in the lives of others. And we just want to thank you one more time for your amazing grace and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One more thing that I, I want to announce is the phone number. Do you have that to put on the screen? Okay, that will be on the screen. I'll give it to you here real quickly if you want to write it down. Uh, this is for questions and answers. We will be having a Q&A program tomorrow. And that's usually our most exciting program uh, when we have the interaction with the audience. So if you have questions that have not been answered uh, already through our presentations or if you were not here to hear the answers, write them down, give them to one of us, or text them to the phone number that will be up on the screen uh, later in the program this morning. Um, we're going to just jump right in. In the interest of time, and uh, Wayne Blakely is going to introduce our guest, Ms. Tandy, and uh, we're going to start with you. 
Mr. Wayne. And we have a microphone here too. For us. Good morning. Ah, it's great to see all you guys here this morning, nice and early. Um, I want to introduce to you a young lady, Tandy Chihuahua. Um, Tandy, come on up. Um, I, I think you're going to be very blessed today. A lot of times people hear specifically just from coming out ministries, like there's nobody else around that's, that's come out of uh, sexual um, sin, sexual uh, problems in their life, uh, but there are those who are willing um, to speak up. And so we've been able, we've been blessed to be able to uh, come and talk, uh, come in contact with some of those individuals and have them share with you today. Um, Tandy, we have been um, talking about sexual purity and, and we've been highlighting uh, same-sex attraction. And I just want to thank you for your willingness and your boldness and your transparent, uh, transparency to be able to come and share with us today. God be praised. It's an honor and a privilege. And if it makes a difference in one person's life, then it's worth it. So uh, do you work full time? Are you a student? I do a bit of both. I am currently attending the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary at Andrews University. And I work as a sales associate for White House Black Market. That's a big commitment. <laughs> um, would you tell us a little bit about the beginnings of your life? I'm originally a native of Queens, New York. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Got some love. I'm originally from Queens, New York. I am the product of immigrant parents. My mom is from Guyana, South America, and my dad is from Malawi, Africa. Um, they met in London, and then they came over to the United States and had me and my three brothers. And my grandmother also came over to the United States to assist my parents in rearing us. You know, the, one of the reasons I wanted to, talk to, to have you talk about the beginnings of your life, it seems like with all of us that that's where Satan begins to access. It's like he has some kind of bait that he uses. Um, did that happen in your life? I can think of two distinct um, incidents in which that happened in my early childhood. The first one took place when I was three years old. When I was three, my grandmother as an immigrant used to watch children in the neighborhood as a source of income. And some of those children that she was watching were into things that they probably shouldn't have been and they were older than me. Um, we were out playing in the yard this one particular day and we had an enclosed back staircase. And they went under the staircase and they were performing oral sex on one another. And I was three and I saw that. And so that put an imprint in my mind. The next incident that I can think of that really, it put a mark and it wasn't for something good. Um, at the age of six, my brothers, my friends, all of our friends that were in the neighborhood, we were playing in our basement and we found someone's stash of pornography. And not only did we peruse the magazines, but we were able to push the VHS, ta VHS tapes in, and we saw it. And not only did we see it, but then we began to practice that, what we saw on one another. I continually do, uh, 
continue to be constantly amazed at how many people were exposed to uh, sexuality at such a young age. Uh, I'm assuming that the, that the pornography that you encountered was heterosexual uh, pornography, and so you started experimenting with boys, right? No, not quite. In the late 80s, um, we usually played with our own gender, little girls with little girls and little boys with little boys. So I ended up experimenting with a friend, with a friend of the same gender that was right there in the neighborhood. Wow, so this is probably like a, a one-time experience, right? This continued until I was 13. So I would say from the age of really eight until 13, so about a five-year stretch, roughly. That's incredible. So during this particular time, uh, and, and you're in a, a Christian environment, did you have some kind of sense about whether this was right or wrong? I did. Um, I had a twofold sense. There was the external sense because I was raised by a West Indian family, my mother being Guyanese, my grandmother being Guyanese. Um, our church family being West Indian, it was very much frowned upon. Um, and then there was this internal sense of right and wrong, too, because I was right by my grandmother's side studying the Bible. I had been baptized at the age of eight. And so this was a real internal conflict, and I had nowhere to go. So in this confusion, was there someone uh, that was near to you or, or someone that reached out to you, someone that you could talk to? You know, I would say the change came when I was 13. I started to attend Adventist Academy at Greater New York Academy in Woodside, New York. And we had not a good, but an excellent religion teacher. That particular year, I was a freshman, and it was still a struggle. It was still a very active struggle. I was it was live and in the middle of it. Um, we had two senior girls that year that were engaging in lesbian activity on the senior class trip. And our pastor used this as an opportunity to address the entire student body. He didn't do it in a public forum such as chapel, but what he did was he met with the individual classes. And so when he met with my class, Religion One, he gently and very lovingly opened the scriptures and explained exactly what scripture had to say about homosexuality, but then he took it a step further. He pointed out that there was no sin that God could not help an individual to overcome. The only sin that you cannot obtain forgiveness for is the consistent grieving of the Holy Spirit. And something else that he did that was able to put my heart at rest and help me to seek God on the issue, I came from a Lutheran school before I transferred into Seventh-day Adventist High School. And so I had a very Lutheran and Catholic worldview. And so I thought that my relatives that were dead were floating above me, watching me sin, and that the day of my imminent destruction, when God came back, he was going to rain down fire like he did on Sodom and Gomorrah, and that was going to be the end of me. He, Pastor Clark, said that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. I didn't have to confess my sins to a priest. I didn't have to confess my sins to a parent. Now, if I wronged somebody, I needed to make restitution for it. I needed to apologize. But my sins, something that took place in only his view, were between he and I. And the moment I confessed it, he was willing and able to forgive and would give me the strength to stand. It's amazing to me, and it's at a most impressionable time when you are young that you hear God speaking to you, you're able to commune with God. Did you take opportunity, were you able to speak to Pastor Clark one-on-one, -on -one, individually? 
He said there was one mediator. There was no need to, for me to talk to him or anybody else. I spoke directly to God. Oh, wow. This is great. So, so you got all cleaned up like immediately and that was it. There was no more uh, temptation. God just jerked this right out of your hand and you were set free. I wish that's how it went. I would say the trial got even tougher the moment I made that stand for Christ. Um, up until that point, I had never been introduced to gay culture. But after I made that decision, I had a friend that was in academy that was an active part of gay culture in New York. And if you want to be a part of gay culture in New York, it's Greenwich Village. So he introduced me to Greenwich Village um, and the gay lifestyle, the gay culture. Um, God was faithful. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. He held my hand. To this day, he holds my hand. Amen. I never went back. I had one more slip. I prayed about it, and I never went back. And 22 years looking behind me, God is faithful. So God delivered you from same-sex attraction. Um, are you ever faced with those feelings uh, today? And if so, what triggers them? You know, when I first walked away from the lifestyle, it was a bit tough. The culture was a bit tough. Um, it would constantly be on my mind. But the more that I spent time with Christ, the less the, that life held any form of attraction for me. The most that I struggle with now um, is when I walk into church and somebody's dressed inappropriately, say one of our sisters might be exposed a bit, and at that point I have to take the course of the male minister and raise my eyes towards heaven and whisper a word of prayer and keep on moving. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, I, as I shared with you earlier, I can relate to that, and then I thought, oh, I better reword that <laughs> because my, my situation wasn't by being tempted with women but by men, and, and men can dress inappropriately as well, I might mention. Um, so, Tandy, um, in, in your life today in dealing with same-sex attraction, uh, what gives you blessed assurance through Jesus Christ? God has held my hand, and he removed me from the situation when I had no strength. The moment I said those words, I don't know what happened, but he's consistently held my hand. Throughout my Navy career, um, throughout coming to the seminary, he's continued to hold my hand. I remember going to boot camp, and I was in a division of 84, enlisted Navy boot camp, and we had 84 women in our division. I was 18 years old at the time, so this incident was... That life was about five years behind me, but it was tough having to shower with 84 other people and being solicited at times during my career. But God has been faithful, and he's held my hand every step of the way. Has there ever been a time that, that people have challenged you about your being in the Navy and um, the implications of what they might think about a woman who is in the Navy? There have been, but, you know, you just keep on living for Jesus. I mean, you shared with me about an elder making... Oh, yes. Yes, about that. Um, I have what's known as polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, a few of you may know of it, but a few of you may not. The quick synopsis of it is there's a hormonal imbalance. And I struggle with things like facial hair and my hair falling out. And so this elder in California made an observation that, you know, I'm a Navy girl. I keep my hair cut very short because at the time I was wearing 
pretty close to a fade. And so he just swore that I was the roughest lesbian just looking to have my way with one of the church members. You know, that is uh, that we face um, attacks like that from the enemy, that people look at us and, and they look at our residue or something because of having lived and, and being gay and what's associated that. There, we have all these stereotypes that people associate with, with uh, homosexuality. Um, and you know, when you give your life over to Jesus Christ, uh, sometimes for us, you know, certain things haven't just gone immediately away with mannerisms and whatever, but, but it's, it's what's in somebody's heart that God's looking at. I, I wish that our church brothers and sisters would often look at, at that and consider that about the change that God has brought into our lives. You know, we met under the, some pretty unusual circumstances. I wonder if you might tell about that. I was home recovering from Pico's um last february february the um february february 2015 and in that recovery from some of the syndromes um some of the symptoms i was having i happened to be home on a sabbath morning and i turned on to praise vision to see church service because even though i couldn't go out i still wanted to be a part of the body of god and so i tuned in and the lord kept impressing me to tune into rpc bowie um, our church that's out in Maryland, the Bowie Project. And, <laughs> and I was a bit stubborn. I was a bit resistant. I kept wanting to tune into Toronto West, and God made it so. And I wasn't able to tune in, so I ended up tuning into RPC. And that's when I see our friend here, Wayne Blakely, preaching. The moment I realized what he was preaching on, because before this I never had the courage to share my testimony, and I kept hoping that somebody would. The moment I realized the topic of his discussion, I took to Facebook, and I wrote all of my friends, and I said, LGBTQ family, I know you you would never do this, but please tune into Praise Vision. You've got to see it. Whoa, and the pressure was on. I didn't even know it. <laughs> you know, on that Sabbath, and usually on my Sabbath sermon, I'm preaching uh, about um, a title called Engage. And, and Engage is a it, it's twofold. It's about how we can reach out um, to the gay community. But the secret of uh, the secret surprise about this particular presentation is that um, you can't share what you don't have. And so, unless you're experiencing an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't have anything to share with anybody who's suffering from any kind of sin problem. And so, uh, I'm wondering, <laughs> in the in the presentation that day, how your uh, lesbian uh, and gay brothers and sisters um, took to the message that they heard? They took to it really well. I didn't get any resistance. Nobody argued. Nobody questioned. As a matter of fact, I had one friend said, what's the way out of this? God is good, you know, and he's he, you don't always realize the seeds that, we don't always realize the seeds that were being planted, you know, because this is in the hearts uh, of those who are contemplating Jesus and what's possible through Jesus Christ. They don't need a sledgehammer. They don't need somebody beating them over he the head with the word. But when you pray and you ask God for guidance um, as to how to show love, and, and the represent um, Jesus to, to someone who's struggling, the Holy Spirit will lead you if you're listening very closely. Tandy, you're, you're in seminary today. Tell me, what are your plans um, after you get out of seminary? 
Um, the Lord led me to seminary. I'm trusting him to continue to lead me forward. I'm planning for naval chaplaincy upon completion of seminary. I'm thinking that in this world today, that is a major challenge for you because the first uh, opportunity that someone takes to talk to someone about homosexuality and the Bible, it's coming under great scrutiny today. H how do you think that you'll be able to deal with this? Moment by moment, you continue to pray, and God always tells you what to say as long as you don't go ahead of him. Continue to stay in my word, continue to trust God, continue to link hands with my brothers and my sisters. I thank you for your commitment, and I thank you that you know that in Christ you can trust him, that he is not going to fail you. He will see us all the way through as Coming Out Ministries. We know today that it's quite possible. We knew when we formed this ministry that one day, and it could be a day soon, that under the scrutiny that the, that the world puts on us, that the U.S. is putting on us today, that we may be ministering one of these days from behind bars. We ask for your prayers. We thank you that you come and that you listen and that you realize that there is victory through Jesus Christ. And thank you, Tandy, so much for sharing your testimony. Was that a blessing? <laughs> amen, amen. Well, I am grateful to have my mother here with me today. It's uh, a privilege for me to welcome my mom. Her maiden name was Penny Nichols, so you probably won't forget a name like that. Um, Do you pinch pennies? <laughs> All right. Well, Mother and I are just going to say a quick word of prayer before we do this. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, we need your help this morning. And so we ask that you would lead every word that we speak and really reach out to the hearts and minds of the people here. Thank you so much, Lord. Amen. So, Mom, we're talking about sexual sin. And in Coming Out Ministries, we talk a lot about homosexuality, but we really try to broaden that out and, and not just talk about homosexuality, but other sexual sins too. So, Mom, has there been sexual sin in your life? Has it impacted your life? And if so, how? Yes, yes, it did. Um, sexual sin destroyed my marriage. Um, there was adulterous affairs on both sides, both partners, and uh, it was it destroyed something that I, that I thought would never be destroyed. I never imagined being divorced. I never imagined being alone, and it didn't stop there. Um, sexual sin continued through my life as I was single for the first time. Uh, I went from boyfriend to boyfriend, trying to find love but I was indulging in sexual sin. So it, it just kept wreaking havoc on my life and the alcohol and, and the drugs did not help. Um, I lived that way looking for love until my present day husband invited me into his life and uh, he wasn't even divorced yet. He was estranged from his wife, so I continued living in sin. Even though I'd found someone to love me, I was still living in sexual sin. 
And since I'd found love, I started thinking about going to church. But I knew I couldn't go to church if I was living in sexual sin. That conscience, that, that sense of right and wrong told me that I couldn't live both ways. And uh, I worked as a cashier, and uh, I would see people come through my line on Sundays checking out. And they would be dressed in their finest, uh, talking about, you know, spiritual things. I could see the joy on their face because I'd been in church before. And I would challenge them, you know, oh, do you go to church? Where do you go? Hoping that they would invite me. And they were happy to tell me, oh, I go here and I love my pastor and our music program is the best in the city. But not one of them would invite me. Never got an invitation. I never knew where to go. It was at that point that my boyfriend was incarcerated for sexual sin. And here I was in the city. I'm a country girl. Here I was in the city all by myself. And this drove me to fall on my face before the Lord. And at that point, the sexual sin was removed from me. I came to the Lord with a commitment that I had never had before. Uh, I had been baptized into a Baptist church at the age of 10, saved and baptized, but I had not really walked with the Lord. I read my Sunday school quarterly and went to Sunday school, but I'd never read the Bible. And at that point, when I fell upon my face um, and made a true commitment to my Lord, I started reading the Bible like I'd never done before. I started praying like I'd never prayed before because I knew since he was in sexual sin, he was in, he was in a scary place being, being incarcerated for that. So prayer became uh, important to me. The Bible became very important to me. I started reading through the New Testament, and then my sister gave me a Bible for Christmas with a schedule in it, and I started reading through the full Bible from cover to cover that first year in 2001, and I've continued to do that every year since, and it's really opened up God's Word to me. Yes. So I'm sure that um, spending that time in prayer and in the Word has really made a lot of changes in your life. Do you remember that there were necessarily any changes that that experience for you brought into our relationship? Yes, I, I sought God passionately, and I began to tell my daughters about it. Um, they were still living in Washington State. I was in Illinois. I wasn't able to reach out to them personally other than through the phone, and that's really hard to do. How can you minister to your family through the phone? Uh, that was before Skype, and that was before uh, we had a lot of Internet. And uh, since my, my boyfriend, which... I fully committed to at that time, and we ended up getting married in the prison, and I made a full commitment to him as well as to the Lord, and uh, I was living on pretty meager means at home, um, and I wasn't able to reach out to you like I wanted to, so I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, send your saints to minister to my children. I can't be there. He sent the Seventh-day Adventists. He didn't send the Baptists. He sent the Seventh-day Adventists. And so they started reaching out to me with the truth of the word. And I was pretty resistant. I really was. I was pretty resistant because I had, 
had all these Protestant teachings in my life, um, and it made a difference when I kept reading the Word. Um, I tried at one point to give Danielle a Bible. Uh, it was a youth Bible, teen Bible, um, and it had great devotionals in it. She came to visit me one summer on a summer visit because she was still a minor. And uh, when she came to Illinois, I gave her that Bible, and she looked at it, and her face told the whole story. She laid it aside and said, I can never measure up to this. And she shut down. And I tried to give her some scriptures and tell her how we all struggle with that. I could not crack that face. I couldn't. She pushed me away. And that was one of the last summer visits we had. She started getting older and, and in her own groups. And um, she was in high school. And that's a whole different story. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't able to reach out to her for a long time. And then I finally made my first trip out to Washington when her sister got married. And uh, was reunited with her after a few years. Uh, first time I walked into her room and saw where she was at in her teen life, it really frightened me. Dark images on the wall, poetry that was very satanic. Uh, her goth dress was very dark, and makeup was very dark, very, very dark. And it just, I knew where that was coming from, being in the Bible. I knew what, what we were facing and it was frightening. So I'm sure that we've, we've each experienced to some level or another that, that hardness that comes upon a certain person who really is not receptive to the gospel and to hearing about Jesus Christ. And I'm sure that experiencing that from your own daughter was hard for you. And um, so how did you deal with that, with that experience of seeing your seeing your daughter turning in the wrong direction and have her kind of estrange herself from you, what, what was your response to that? The first thing I had to do was I had to turn her over to the Lord. I knew that there wasn't anything I physically could do because I had tried, and I felt like if I tried more, it would push her away more. And uh, so I sought the Lord uh, I turned to prayer. I turned to prayer in a way I'd never prayed before, and uh, I put her on the prayer list at church where I attend, uh, weekly prayer meetings, Sunday service. Uh, we began to pray, and I would tell everybody, Danielle's in a dark place. Please help me pray for Danielle. She doesn't know the Lord. She's turned in the wrong direction. We need to pull her out of that pit. We need the Lord to pull her out of that dark pit. So um, I begin to pray, and believe me, I am not a prayer warrior. I've always wanted to be, and I work on my prayer life, but I fall short. And there's been times I thought, oh, I haven't prayed for Danielle for days. I need, and at that time, when you think of somebody that you need to pray for them, that's when you need to drop right there and pray at that moment. God puts them on your heart for a reason. But I started praying, Lord, interrupt her life. Uh, interrupt her plans, um, take control of what's happening in her, convict her heart. 
not bless Danielle, bless her where she is. No, convict her heart to bring her out of that sin and into your holiness. Give her a desire for the Lord. And I had others pray I would share with my friends, my co-workers. Pray for my daughter. She's in a dark place. She doesn't know the Lord. Amen. So I know we've covered most of, of what we wanted to cover today. But mom, just from your heart right now, if, if there was one more thing that you could share um, with the people in the congregation who know someone and love someone who they see struggling in sexual sin or whatever it may be as they're turning away from the Lord, what would it be? I would say continue to pray and then pray some more and have others pray with you. Because prayer should be our first response, like Daniel says, not our last choice. Because prayer is a power that God has given us, that Christ has given us. He teaches us how to pray. And praying the scriptures was a big part of my learning how to pray when I started reading the scriptures. Somewhere I gained a cassette tape. See, this was a while back. I gained a cassette tape that told you how to pray the Psalms. And so I learned that praying God's word had power in it. Amen. He gave us those words not only as promises, but as prayers. And uh, I still am not perfect in my prayer, but I work at it every day. And uh, praying has moved, moved mountains and brought Danielle out of the miry pit like David was in. And as deep as she was and the darkness that she was, God has brought her up to shine that much more brighter. Those who, who love much, have been forgiven much, love much. Amen. Amen. Well, I wanted to share one more thing before we hand the mic over. Um, as you can hear from what my mom shared, she loves the Lord. She loved his word. But as I had come to surrender my whole heart to Jesus, and now I'm living as a Christian, I knew that my mom didn't know the joy of the Sabbath. And I wanted her to know that joy. And so I decided that I was going to do what she did for me, and I was going to start praying for her. And I determined that I was going to pray every day. And once I started doing that, after a short time, the Lord laid it on my heart to appeal to her about the Sabbath. And I thought, oh, okay, Lord, this is, this is really intimidating for me, right? Because she was patient and prayerful and quiet towards me, and I wanted to have that kind of same respect towards her, right? So I said, okay, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, you're going to have to open up the doors and give me the words. And he did just that. He took me out to spend three weeks with her that summer. I spoke in a few churches in her area. And as we were going to, as I was going to those churches, she came every time. She came with me. In one church in particular, she said, I really like this church. I could go to this church. And she didn't just say that once. She actually said that multiple times while we were at the church and then again um, at home during the week. She kept mentioning enjoying this church. So I thought, okay, Lord, this is, this is you opening the door, right? So I planned that I would speak to her this day at this time, and it just didn't work out. And so I thought, well, what happened? You know, and I almost got a little bit frustrated, but then I said, no, I'm going to trust you, Lord, in your timing because you brought me here, and you'll, you'll give the time and the words. 
So we ended up talking later that night, and her husband was able to be there. As a result, he wouldn't have been there if we spoke that morning. So as the Sabbath was coming to a close and we had watched a couple little videos on creation, the words started coming into my mind. And so I said, well, the Sabbath is coming to a close. Let's, let's say a word of prayer and maybe read a couple verses. So we, we prayed, and I didn't want to talk to her without praying, so we prayed. And then I said, well, we've, we've looked at creation, but there's one aspect we haven't looked at. So let's open the word. And I turned to Genesis 2, and I started reading how God finished creation by making the Sabbath and blessing it. And I just turned to her, and I frankly said, Mom, you refer to Saturday as a Sabbath. Do you believe that it's the Sabbath? And she said, yeah, I do. I said, do you, do you think God still wants us to keep it? Yeah, I do. And I said, do you just feel like he doesn't care what day we keep? No, I think it does matter, and I've really been convicted about that lately. So we opened up the Word together. We ended up talking for about three hours, and at one point of the conversation, she turn, turned to her husband and said, well, David, are you going to be coming to church with me on the Sabbath from now on? But the beautiful thing is that it didn't just turn her life where she started keeping the Sabbath because she had felt convicted about that before she'd been exposed to the Sabbath for a long time. And she had kind of come to that point before, but this time she really changed her day off. She started keeping the Sabbath, but it drove her deeper into the Word. And she started studying out the fundamental beliefs of the church. And as I started to have Skype calls with her and stuff, I started to realize she wasn't wearing jewelry anymore. I started to realize that her, the way she spoke was starting to soften and change. And eventually one day she called me and she said, I've been talking with the pastor and we're going to start studying the Bible for, to prepare me for baptism. So August she was baptized and so now we're not, she's not just my mom, she's my sister too. So Hallelujah. God is waiting to pour out all the resources of heaven to those who turn to him in prayer, he is able. Amen. Good morning. My name is Miguel, and I'm going to be sharing my testimony with you today as well. And just being up here, I've been as blessed as you have been hearing all these stories. And, and testimonies. And how many of you were born in a Seventh-day Adventist home? Yeah? Okay, awesome. It's a privilege, isn't it? Well, unfortunately, it's a privilege that I didn't have. Um, I was born in the beautiful island of the Dominican Republic. If you haven't been there, please go. I was there just a week ago. And before I was born, my mother wanted to have a baby girl. And so everything that she bought for me was pink. But God had other plans because I'm a boy. And so I was also born into a broken home. Um, my parents broke up when I was a baby. My mother um, raised me as a single parent at a time where a baby boy needs to bond the most with his, with his father. And my mother was also an alcoholic, and she was uh, very promiscuous as well. She had um, a lot of what you call explosive anger. And so at times she would beat me very brutally even when I was ignorant of it. So from a young age, I started to hate my mother. And my mother read comic book novels that were very explicit, and sometimes I would look at them myself. So from a young age, I was exposed to what you would call pornography, which later on in my life, I became addicted. And although my mom wasn't perfect, she did work really hard to support me. 
and she will pay my great-grandmother, who's still alive, to take care of me um, while she will go and work. And having the advantage of a babysitter, uh, she will sometimes not come home for like a week or two because she will be out there partying and drinking with her friends. Um, one day when I was four years old, my great-grandmother and I took a trip to one of her friend's house. And she was just sitting in the living room with her friend. And I was bored of seeing two old ladies talking. So I started to wander around the house. And I came across this room. And the door was cracked. And there was a young man inside this room. And he invited me in. And I went in. And we were just playing. And um, he was a lot older than me. And just to make a long story short, he took advantage of me and raped me. And um, I kept it in secret because my mother had explosive anger and I didn't know if I could trust her. I felt that if I, if I told her, she would uh, beat me brutally uh, for thinking that it was my fault. So I suppressed it and thought that it was my fault. And this incident happened yet again. We visited my, my grandmother's uh, friend again and it happened again and I, I actually started to like it this time. So then I started to uh, have attraction to the same sex from that point on. And I played with boys when I was a young boy, but I felt more, much more comfortable playing with girls and their toys. And I started to develop mannerisms. So I was often very teased by my own friends. Even my own family would tease me. I remember once my great-grandmother said, why do you act like a homosexual? And I said, well, she said, your father wasn't a homosexual. And I said, well, I never really knew my father because he would just make an appearance every five or six months, give me money and leave. That's all the relationship that I had to my dad. And at the age of eight, I was introduced to masturbation by one of my friends. He, um, I went to his house and he did it in front of me and then he encouraged me to do it. So from a young age, I started this habit as well. My mother was introduced to this man from the United States. Um, my, my aunt, and by my aunt, and she was talking to him, and they started a relationship, and later on they, be, they got married. So then we received legal documentation, and we came to the United States, and that's how I'm here today. And my aunt is a Seventh-day Adventist, and she introduced us to the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, I wasn't really into church, so I didn't want to go to church, but my mom did go to church, and... Um, she was pregnant on my sister at that time, and so she was abstinent from alcohol for that whole year. And I figure, you know, I should just go to church and see if I can make some friends, because I didn't have any friends when I came to this country. And so I did, and I was very welcome in the church, and um, I really liked it. But then my mom, after having my sister, she went back into her lifestyle. She went back to drinking and being promiscuous, and... It, it became too much for me to handle um, as a young boy taking care of a baby girl and going to church at the same time and dealing with that. So I started to slowly uh, f feel burdened and wanted to leave church as well. Um, still, I was attracted to the same sex, but I didn't know what to do about it, and I never really received an answer from the church of how a homosexual can be saved. And so... <sighs> I knew that the church didn't accept homosexuality, but I never got my answer. So still, um, in high school, homosexuality was viewed as something normal. And going through, this, through the emotions and feelings in my mind, I wanted to, I wanted to um, feel accepted. So I, one day I looked in the mirror in my room, and I told myself that I was bisexual. 
And I kept repeating it over and over again until it actually became something that, it was, that I was okay with. And, but I knew that that wasn't the truth. I knew that there was something else, so I wanted to fully accept it. And so I went back into the mirror and I said, no, I'm gay. And I kept repeating it over and over again. Now, the Bible says something interesting about this. It says in Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So I was tired of being in the homosexual closet. So I told my closest friend that I was gay, and she accepted me with open arms. And of course, there's people out there that will, that will tell you exactly what you want to hear. And so I was accepted by society. I was trying to find acceptance, and I found that in the wrong place. And I had an experience with a prominent leader in the church. She knew that I was gay and that I was practicing this lifestyle, and she called me. She told me she wanted to meet with me. And we met, and this person told me that if I continued to be a homosexual, that I was going to hell. So I said, I'll go to hell, because that's who I am. And so I was accepted by society, but I was rejected by the church. And from then, I became a rebellious teenager who wanted nothing to do with God. I got into dance, I was a dancer. Um, one of my gay friends encouraged me to go to this dance school. And music was a big influence in my life as well. I partied a lot since I loved to dance and I love music. And by God's grace, I never did alcohol or drugs because of my mom's example. Um, but God had to remove all these things that were in my life for me to be able to feel my need of him. And so I wanted to be happy with somebody so I dated boys, and my last relationship with a boy, um, it, was, it was really bad. It, we got into this very um, ugly verbal and physical fight, and he was very bipolar, so we broke up many times, but I didn't want to keep going through this struggle uh, with him, so um, we, we broke up finally, and I left his house brokenhearted and crying, and I was hurt. My friend Tammy, who was here today, she only lived down the street from this boy. And I went to her house, and she received me, and I just, I was in tears. And I told her that I didn't want to be gay anymore. And so from that, from that point, God started to work in my heart. And um, her and her husband were praying for me all along. So I'm here because of their prayers as well. And... I told myself that if that was what the gay lifestyle was all about, that I didn't want it. I started to realize what it was all about. It's nothing but depression and remorse and anger and anxiety. And my friend Tammy gave me some sermons from um, Nicole Parker, you may know her, uh, that she had done a presentation on homosexuality. And as I heard this presentation of other people that were giving their testimony of how they had overcome, I was so... Um, I was so interested that I told God that I wanted him to do the same in my life. And I'm a firm believer that God will meet you where you are. So I started to tell friends, teachers, um, family members, and nobody could agree with me that a homosexual could change. But the Bible says that nothing is impossible with God, that what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so at that time, it was time to go to college, and I didn't know where to go. So me and my friend Tammy had a talk about this, and she said that I should probably go to Puerto Rico and go to college there. And I saw it as an opportunity to get away from my environment and get close to God.
one day I was debilitated by the secret vice that was going on in my life. And I went to get some water at a water fountain in the college. And um, one of my friends was walking towards me. And he noticed in my countenance that I was struggling. And he said, hey, have you ever, uh, have you ever read Steps to Christ before? And I said, no, I haven't. And he had a copy in his hand. And he said, here, this is for you. And from that day on, I fell in love with Jesus as soon as I read that book. And it's, it's just been so wonderful. He filled my heart when I was emptied. And I just cannot describe the joy and peace that I felt as I read how much he loves me. So Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. He died for you and I, knowing every single sin that you were going to commit. And he did it because he loves you. And a lot of blessings came from me renouncing my, um, homose my sexuality. For instance, my mother and I get along like never before. I'm able to tell her about Jesus, and she's expressed to me how much she wants to change her life and give her life to Christ as well. And now that I know God, I'm called to serve him. Just this past summer, I came, I did a 10-week canvassing program, and after that, I went to a mission trip in Haiti where I had the privilege to serve God there. And Luke 9.23 says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And I can never complain about not having a family that's not perfect, because now I am adopted into a new family, which you, which you belong to as well. And I do believe that I am a new creature in Christ. That means my identity is found in Christ, and nobody can take that away from me. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, because he overcame, and he was sinless. And he did that for you, and he did that for me. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. We are saved to serve. May God bless you. Have you been blessed this morning with these testimonies? My. I like what Miguel quoted there, that nothing is impossible with God. A, a, a very strong theme of my own personal ministry. Let's see. I'm going to unplug you here. Does everyone have this phone number, by the way? I need to unplug for a moment. 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. And with our loving God, there is nothing impossible. Our God is mighty to save. The whosoevers, any whosoevers here? Uh, there's a bunch of them here on the front row. <laughs> He's mighty to save the whosoevers from whatsoever even to the uttermost. Exhibit A, B, C, D, E, F, G. <laughs> We've got the whole alphabet up here. Uh, exhibit. Um, you know, for us to, to be uh, really effective in reaching out to those who are struggling, 
with the sin issue period. We'll use the gay issue as an example. And for some reason, I'm not getting on here. It's important that we be equipped. Satan is um, foisting many lies upon uh, God's people, upon the church. I have to tell you, my 15-year-old son painted that picture, and it's my, my um, what do you call it on my computer? Anyway, it's important for us to understand that there are lies that Satan is uh, putting out for us on the church. I only have five or six minutes, so I'm going to, I'm going to very quickly just throw up these myths it's important that you understand that when you hear these statements, even within our own church, these are lies of Satan. Um, and so I, we have four of them here that I just want to share with you. Uh, number one, well, I'm doing them backwards. Number four, <laughs> I want to end with the most positive one. Uh, the lie is that homosexual marriage is pretty much like heterosexual marriage. We need to, and I'll be flipping through very fast, but I just want to share with you the tons of documentation that we have through legitimate research and science um, that show that there is widespread sexual promiscuity among uh, the homosexual uh, community. And... In fact, the disease of syphilis, and I'm just going to be kind of flipping through here, but the disease of syphilis is 46 times that of other men. Uh, within the gay community, it is extremely high. Uh, there is a fellow, Michelangelo Signorile, who describes the campaign, uh, if I can get to him here, the campaign to fight for, um, I'm trying to read my notes instead of the screen here. <laughs> well, he says the fight uh, for same-sex marriage and its benefits uh, is to redefine the institution completely. Uh, he, uh, the political gay community is really wanting to do away with marriage as we have known it traditionally for all these generations uh, as an um, archaic institution. As I'm talking, I'm just flipping through. I just want you to be impressed with the number of facts that we have to dispute the claim that, um, that gay marriage is very much like that of heterosexual marriage. But God's plan in uh, contrast with the myth is that when a that a man shall leave his father his mother shall cleave unto his wife they shall be one flesh Exodus twenty fourteen thou shalt not commit adultery Leviticus twenty eight I mean eighteen and twenty basically say thou shalt not commit homosexuality when it says that if a man lies with mankind as with a woman they both have committed adultery myth number three. Uh, 
if, and by the way, if you want more of the documentation on these, you can see me later and we can get that to you. But what I want to really just share in my few minutes here is these myths. So you know, when you hear this, it is not biblical. It is not true to science. These are truly myths. Homosexual behavior is a healthy and safe alternative to homosexual behavior. Uh, they're generally just as well adjusted as heterosexuals psychologically and socially. And this is definitely not true. Uh, knowing the AIDS risk, many gays continue to indulge in unsafe practices. The, the uh, incidence of sexually transmitted diseases is exponentially higher among um, uh, those in the gay community. And we can just go down the list of um, 40% of gay adolescents report suicidal histories. This is not normal, as you can see. Uh, many facts here done, uh, given to us through research and science that dispel this myth that gay behavior is healthy and normal. Uh, I like what God's plan is, though. In Exodus, he says, if you will diligently basically hearken unto me, my laws, my commandments, my statutes, and so forth, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians. And on the flip side of that, he says, if you will not observe my ways, my laws, my commandments, uh, then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful and thy plagues of thy seed, even great plagues and of long continuance. Uh, so we see that God's plan is that we, we uh, live in a way that avoid all of these diseases and so forth. And when you think about it, if a godly woman reserves herself entirely for the one and only man that God has for her, uh, you know, uh, for one and only man, according to God's plan. And if that same man reserves himself entirely for her under God's plan, what is the incidence or the, the likelihood that either one of them would have a sexually transmitted disease? It's kind of like zero, isn't it? God wants us to have length of days and quality of life. He does not want us to live in a way that will bring disease and destruction upon us. And there again, he is a loving father that only wants what is best for his children. And if you ever plan on being a father, a loving father or a loving mother, you can relate to that. You will have to tell your children sometimes no or no, no. <laughs> or, or repeatedly, and it's not because you're being restrictive, but because you're being protective because of your love. And God knows the end from the beginning, and he knows what will be harmful. And many things that are harmful to children are things that might be fun and exciting, but we want to protect them. Myth number two, science indicates that homosexuality is genetic. I started rejecting that, that myth as I was searching my way out of the gay life because it didn't make sense. How can my straight father and my straight father produce a gay child? And their parents were straight and so forth. Uh, all, all people are born through heterosexual 
uh, biology and anatomy and some even artificial insemination. You have uh, a male contribution to the female reception of that. And it just didn't make sense to me. And so we have a number of facts and the most, um, the most prominent study, I think, is the one done with identical twins. Why? Because identical twins share the same DNA. Or they have identical DNA, I should say. So if one twin is gay, what would be the incidence that the other twin would be gay? If this is a genetic issue, would it be 50%? It'd be close to 100%, wouldn't it? It's only 7.7. And so this study has been done for decades interviewing and surveying and researching uh, identical twins. And these twin studies have overall debunked the possibility of homosexuality being uh, what they say exclusively genetic. I would take it even farther than that. Um, but I'm convinced that it is conditioned to behavior. That conditioning can begin in the womb, by the way, but it's not genetic. Uh, the strongest factor I have seen in the entire gay in, um, issue is a s perception of rejection. Uh, every gay person I've ever known has been dealing with some perception of rejection. And the gay community has open arms. They will accept just about any perversion uh, to grow their numbers, I suppose, and their political influence. Um, but that is a very strong th factor. Uh, I'm not going to go into all of these documentations here because I want to get to, I want to close with this last myth, and that is that homosexual is unchangeable. Have you seen this these couple days? Have you seen, and, and uh, can you now understand that this is a myth? Uh, and and what, what would make you think this is a myth? How, how many people does it take to disprove a lie. How many testimonies? You get the point? Just one. Jesus, one man on the cross, gave the lie to all of Satan's charges, didn't he? It only takes one person. Well, there are several of us here, and you know, as we go around the world, and we minister, and we uh, talk to people, and share our testimonies, they come out of the woodwork. There are many, many people like us that have lived in the gay life, that have chosen by God's grace to come out of it and are living different lives to this day. Um, one study, and this will surprise you, I'll get right to the bottom here. Uh, one study has shown, and I know there are those who contradict this, but they have shown the numbers of people who have changed towards exclusive heterosexuality are greater than current numbers of bisexuals, homosexuals combined. And I'm beginning to believe that you'll never hear this in the media because it does not fit their agenda. Uh, it does not fit in with political correctness and with conventional thinking. But would we be surprised by this? Should we be surprised? Is not God a miracle-working God? This is the factor that is left out of psychology, psychiatry, and social science so many times, is the miracle-working power of our God. 
you, you depend upon human thinking and human reasoning, and you could buy into the fact that once gay, always gay. But you factor in the miracle-working power of God, and all of that then dissipates. So how many does it take? Well, here's one that has, <laughs> that has come out of the gay life. There's exhibit A, and here again we have exhibit B, C, D, a bunch of us, and what have you. Uh, but I want to just close this with God's word. Only acknowledge thine iniquity. And, and I just want to really leave this with you. If you are struggling with a gay issue, if you're struggling with an adultery issue, if you're struggling with any addiction issue, God says, if you'll just acknowledge that it is a sin issue, I can work with you. Because Jesus came to save his people from their sins not from some acceptable alternative lifestyle, not from something that you can defend and justify and rationalize. He came to save us from our sins, the wages of which are death. And we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all need our Savior, don't we? And he says, if you will just acknowledge that this is a sin issue, then we can go to work. And First John... Um, one nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There again, friends, we do serve an awesome God. Uh, I spent so many years of my life being conditioned to believe that I could not be changed. As I was going through counseling, going through my divorce in my youth over the gay issue, even Seventh-day Adventist pastors we're counseling my wife to just divorce this man and get on with your life. That kind can never change. You know, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we have to correct that thinking. Otherwise, we are demonstrating a form of godliness, denying the power thereof. And I am convinced that the answer to the gay question is within the Seventh-day Adventist message because we are not afraid to use the text of Scripture that defines sin as a transgression of the law. And you cannot fully overcome the enemy unless you define the enemy. And the Seventh-day Adventist message accepts the authority of Ten Commandments, not nine, eight, or seven. And with that, with that acknowledgement, the Lord can work. And I studied my way out of the gay life with the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Friends, we need to treasure what God has gifted us with. He has given us, the made us the repositories of his truth for these last days. Let's not be timid with it. Let's not be shy with it. The world is dying for lack of the message that we have. And so we in Coming Out Ministries want to encourage you to really enlighten yourselves with the truth of God's word, equip yourselves, go forward armed, and we will work with the Lord and the Lord will work with us to defeat the enemy on his own territory. This earth, Satan is the prince of this world. We are behind enemy lines, but we're not of this kingdom. We are of another kingdom. And the Lord can do miraculous things with a few. Just do a study on the word few in the Bible. Again, we want to thank you for being here. Do not forget to uh, turn in any questions that you have. 
to the number that you saw on the screen earlier. And this will probably be our most exciting presentation when we have our Q&A tomorrow. Let us stand, shall we? And we'll have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, again, we just want to praise you for your marvelous power and your amazing love that you can reach the unreachable, you can change the unchangeable. And we want to continue to live to testify to that amazing love and that amazing power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.